Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. Dot the grovewr.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I had the privilege of sharing from this passage of Scripture this past Wednesday during Emana, but I didn't get as, uh, I didn't really put as much meat on the bones as I wanted to, but today we're going to put some meat on the bones. One of the reasons why the normal routine is disrupted today for our normal flow of streaming worship, uh, and it's a number of reasons why, but one reason is because I believe that this disruption is necessary. I hope and pray that we can still feast on the Word of God today uh, despite the change in the flow of worship. Uh, I, I, had the, I had the privilege of watching a number of other uh, live streams this past weekend, and to be honest with you, I, I noticed that things really seem to be just about the same, the same format, same flow, maybe condensed in a number of different contexts. A lot of ministries have condensed their uh, flow of worship here at Union Grove. We condensed our flow of worship due to, due to the, 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 the factors, due to the stuff that we got going on, right? We condensed ours. But I still believe that we're experiencing, to a, to a great extent, the same old, same old. So my heart has been uh, heavily pressed to, to change things up, again, for a number of reasons. But I want us to experience something different so that we can perhaps re-examine some of our habits, our, our, our tendencies, what we're doing with our time, what we're doing with our energy, and even what we're doing in, as relates to our relationship with God. So I went through a lot of that on this past Wednesday. I'm not going to elaborate on that too much today. Right now, I want to get into the Word of God. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And I do pray that we are receptive to what the Spirit of God would say to us on this day. Let me read this passage of Scripture to you. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. From whence, comes wars, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers, very strong language here. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands, uh, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, 
and weep. But we want to shout and dance, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Amen. Amen. Again, I want to talk today from the thought, same thing from this past Wednesday, closer, get closer to God. Get closer to God. In fact, maybe today we'll call this Get Closer to God Part 2. Get Closer to God Part 2. We see a lot of hostility in the world today. There's racial hostility. There's political hostility. Uh, there's hostility everywhere, everywhere. And unfortunately, we're seeing hostility even in the Lord's church amongst the saints we see hostility in the body of Christ, political hostility. Even though we are all born again, washed by the blood of Jesus, we can still be divided along political lines. You can have moderate Christians, liberal Christians, conservative Christians. Then you can have some conservative Christians question if you could be a such thing as a liberal uh, Christian. Um, uh, we, we have tension amongst racial lines, even in the body of Christ. We have tension and hostility along uh, theological lines uh, within the body of Christ. Just tension and hostility everywhere. It seems to be so easy to find hostility, highly raised tension, even amongst the people of God. And James is addressing this with his audience. For in verse 1, James poses a very powerful question, uh, which come wars and fightings among you? And again, he's talking to saved people. He is talking to Jews who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he's asking, why are y'all fighting each other? And understand that in the Jewish culture under Roman oppression, that it was, it was customary, uh, I suppose, to find Jews who would be hostile to one another, that they could get heated amongst themselves, Jews who weren't even saved, Jews who didn't even embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and James seems to be saying that you all have embraced that mindset. You've brought a part of that culture into your fellowship, into your community. And James is getting on them. James is encouraging them. This ought not be. That what we find out there, that sort of behavior, we ought not find in here. Where do, where do these wars and these fightings come from? And hostility amongst the saints, as I shared with you this past Wednesday, is nothing new. It's nothing new. And it was not isolated to James' audience. Paul addressed it to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, uh, throughout the, the first letter of Corinthians, some of you may remember where he got on them about division. He got on them about being carnal. He got on them about taking one another to court. Uh, he got on them about uh, looking out for themselves during communion, that during their holy communion, they would, they would eat up everything, drink up everything. So then when the poor or less, less fortunate saints would come to communion, there would be nothing left to eat to represent the body of Jesus or drink to represent the blood of Jesus. And Paul had to get on them. How could y'all treat one another like that? Great hostility, great tension. And then even the Galatian saints, Paul, would even tell the Galatians, he mentions to them in Galatians chapter 5, that they were devouring one another. They were devouring one another. They, it was as if, uh, and I mentioned this this past Wednesday, it was as if they were spiritual cannibals. They were, they were just devouring one another, eating one another alive. Not literally, not literally. But they were just devouring one another's faith, devouring one another's faithfulness to God, uh, devouring one another's focus. And Paul had to get on them. Their, their hostility amongst the Galatians 
Paul equated it to, equated it to them uh, devouring one another. Then the Ephesian saints, the Ephesian saints, Paul had to encourage them to kind of tone it down and do better at getting along with one another. He would tell them, stop lying to one another. Stop stealing. If you want to get something, earn an honest living. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It was the Ephesian saints that Paul said, uh, be angry, but sin not. Because even there in Ephesus, you could find a certain measure of hostility. And then the Philippians, the Philippians, who had been generous to Paul, who had supported Paul financially, even to the Philippians. Paul had to get on them in Philippians chapter 2 and tell them to not so highly esteem themselves more so than others, but rather highly esteem others more so than themselves. Then he would even tell them to be uh, humble, even as Christ was humble, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself as a servant, as our model, as our pattern, as our example, that we also should do the same thing. We should do the same thing. So then we're not clear on what exactly generated so much hostility within James' audience. We don't know what exactly had them demonstrating so much hostility toward each other, but it is clear why they were fighting. James says again in verses 1 and 2, uh, from whence come wars and fightings among you? I'll tell you where it comes from, James says. James says, it comes from your lusts that war in your members. It comes from your own desires. It comes from your own desire. You can't blame demons for this. You cannot blame the uh, emperor for this. You cannot blame the culture for this. James says it's y'all and your own desires that's causing y'all to act like this. Verse 2 says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight in war. Strong language, you fight in your war, yet you have not because you ask not. Again, y'all, these are Jewish Christians, and we get the impression that they have drifted away from God. They have drifted away from God. And James is trying to get them to, to come back to God. He's trying to get them to come back to God. You could see it. You could, you could tell that they, were, that they had drifted away from God and how they treated one another. They were hostile to one another. They were, they were captivated. They were consumed in their own pleasures, their own pleasures. That word for pleasures, that word for lusts is the word hedonon, which means desires. It means pleasures. It's, it, it is when pleasures are your chief goal of life. Is pleasure overriding uh, other desires of life? Is is when nothing will uh, nothing will be allowed to stand in the way of getting what you want. That whatever you want, when it comes to anything, anything, hedonism, hedonism is is the breaking down of barriers. It's the it is the dissolvement of decency. Hedonism, hedonism, and this is what James is addressing. You all have become hedonistic where you are so engulfed and consumed with your own pleasures that you, you're, you're, you're hostile to one another. You're hostile to one another. They wanted what they wanted, and they wanted it bad enough that it competed with the wants and desires and needs of others. They wanted what they wanted with their, uh, with their lives in their church, and it, it got in the way of what God wanted. It, what they wanted got in the way of what God wanted what God wanted for them individually as well as for their fellowship. So I wonder, I wonder if this is where we are in the body of Christ. Not, not every member of the body of Christ, but I wonder if we as a whole, we as a whole, and maybe you, maybe even me, 
are, are so consumed with our own pleasures that even during this time of quarantine, during this time where we're still, where we're about to get back to sheltered in place, we've been away from our fellowships, we've been away from our ministries, we've been away from the house of God, especially for those of us at Union Grove, that we have drifted away from God. I hope your life is, is not declaring and blaring to people who love you, uh, people who really care about you, that you have drifted away from God. My heart as the shepherd of this flock at Union Grove, uh, uh, my hope, my hope is that we have not, that you have not drifted away from God. The truth is we all have our preferences. We all have our preferences. We all have our preferences for worship format. Some of you may be itching and burning right now because we're, we're, our worship format for today is not what you're accustomed to. You know, here, here we are uh, into our worship experience and you haven't heard not nearest song yet, whether it's a devotional song or a, a contemporary praise and worship type song. And th those are preferences that we can really get worked up about, isn't it? The type of music we want to hear, uh, the type of worship we want to experience the, the type of preaching we want to experience, whether we want someone to to really, you know what I mean, to really get to really get into it and declare what the Lord has said, or just talk to us and teach us, and we don't need all you know, we all have preferences. We all have preferences. Large, whether it's large churches, small churches, we all have preferences, styles of worship, styles of presenting the word of God. We can even fight over whether someone deserved the forceful treatment they received from law enforcement or whether someone should have been found guilty in a court of law. We can become so engulfed in our preferences, our preferences and what we want and how we see things that our personal preferences divide us. We want what we want and sometimes we never question what God wants. Sometimes we want what we want so badly, we never question, but what does God want? But what does God want? What, what, what does God want? What do we want, uh, or what we do in our corporate worship, what we do with the budget, what we do for the community, what we speak up about, what we remain silent about, and things like this can sometimes divide us in the body of Christ unnecessarily. So hostility amongst the saints is a serious matter. It's a very serious matter. James said that such behavior is worldly and it is at enmity against God. Look at verse four. Verse four, ye adulterers and adulteresses, that's very strong language. I mean, think about it. If any pastor in any pulpit in America stood up and, and uh, uh, addressed his or her congregation as adulterers, adulterers and adulteresses, that would bring up a very interesting conversation. You let that happen on, in, on, a, on a video and post it on social media, that will probably go viral. You bunch of adulterers, you bunch of adulteresses, and I bet people in the pews would be like, who you calling an adulterer? Who you, I got your adulteress. Listen to what James says in verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So what James is saying is, the hostility that y'all have toward one another, the hostility that you have against one another, you're acting like people in the world, people who uh, have broken down boundaries, people who have dissolved decency. You're acting, you're acting in a way that resembles people in the world. And so what he says is what that does is is pulling you away from your faithfulness to God. It is as if you're committing adultery against God by treating the world as your side piece. 
You, you've embraced the world's principles, the world's values with this, with this ungodly hostility toward or against one another. And so in that, the world is your side piece. We can't allow the world to be our side piece. This behavior is worldly. It's what James is conveying to us. This hostility against, and the worldly behavior is hostility against God. So when we are hostile to one another, we basically are being hostile against God. Hostility amongst the saints is a sign that folks have, may have embraced worldly principles and values and pleasures. It demonstrates to the world that we treat each other in the body of Christ as the world treats one another out in the world. And so this is a shame seeing that we have been commanded to love one another as Jesus loves us. So James said it is enmity with God. God hates it. God can't stand it. This means that our hostility against one another is also hostility against God. So James tells us, he tells us to submit to God and draw close to him. Submit to God and draw close to God. It is as if this is the prescription. It is as if that this is the, the vaccine for the virus of hostility amongst followers of Jesus Christ. Submit to God and draw close to him. If, if everyone submits to God and draws close to him, that will solve the hostility problem. This is what James seems to be implying. If you and I make a commitment to submitting to God, drawing close to him, getting closer to God. I know you may already be close to God. Perhaps we need to get closer because what James offers in verses 7 through 10 seems to be a vaccine against the virus of hostility amongst the saints of God. Right. So he does so in a way that demands action. He's not just offering suggestions. James is saying, I'm, I want y'all to take action on these on this exhortation that I give you in verses 7 through 10. Submit to God and get closer to him. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Because I like to believe that, that, that you believe that you are submitted to God, that you have surrendered to God, that you have given God your yes, and that you're close to God. I love to believe that you believe that about yourself. I believe that about myself, that I have submitted to God and that I'm close to God. Can I get closer? Yes. Yes. Can I go old school real quick? You betcha by golly. Wow. I can get closer to God. I like to believe you can get closer to God as well. What does that look like? People who are getting closer to God, how do they behave? How do they treat one another? How do they treat other people uh, who have other preferences and people who are different from them? Let's look at it. Let's look at it. a couple of things real quick. We're going to raise up. Number one, same thing I shared with you Wednesday, just in greater detail. Going to put a lot more meat on the bones. Number one, if you want to get closer to God, if you want to get closer to God, if you want to know what being closer to God looks like, here's number one. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. I'm in verse number seven. Verse seven, James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. What's he going to do, James? He will flee from you. James, no. <laughs> Clark, yes. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. People who are getting closer to God resist the devil. They resist the devil. Why should you and I resist the devil? Well, for starters, for starters, because we probably have not been resisting him. James is telling his audience resist the devil as if to imply they weren't resisting him. Maybe a part of the reason for all of this hostility amongst the saints to whom uh, James writes is because 
they have not been resisting the devil. So James says, all right, do so now. From now on, from now on, resist the devil. Secondly, secondly, resist the devil, as James has already told us in the text, so he will flee from you. Yeah, so he will flee from you. Now, listen to what James has said. This isn't Clark saying it, so don't get mad at Clark. This is James saying it. So if you're going to get mad at anybody, get mad at James. James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Not them. You. You. James is not talking to them. You know what I mean by them? Everybody but you. James is talking to you. James is talking to me. He's talking to each believer. Every believer. So you may be saying, but I don't get hostile with people. James is talking to you. James is talking to me. No one could respond to James' exhortation with, that's right, James, you tell him. You tell him, ooh, I wish my cousin was here to hear this word. Ooh, I wish sister so-and-so, she would be absent today. Ooh, brother so-and-so would uh, not come to church today. No, no. James talks to you. James talks to me. Every follower of Jesus resists the devil so he will flee from you. He will flee from you. And uh, as I shared with you on Wednesday, don't be talking about how uh, some other people bring him to church. The devil can, can find his way into the company of anyone who is on fire for Christ. He hung out with Jesus in the wilderness. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, here comes the devil in the wilderness tempting Jesus. In fact, I believe it was Matthew who said, it was Matthew or Luke, who's, uh, who, or maybe it was both of them who said, Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So if Jesus could be tempted of the devil, if, if Jesus could entertain the company of the enemy, you and I also can entertain the company of the enemy. That's why James tells you and he tells me, resist the devil and he will flee. So then the question becomes, how? How do I resist the devil? How do I resist the devil? Well, there are different ways you can resist the devil. You can resist the devil by resisting the urge to question someone else's salvation or their sanity when they disagree with you. I'm intrigued by how, uh, especially during election time, especially during election time, we got an election coming up this fall, presidential election. It's something how during election time we get to questioning other folks' salvation. How can you be saved and you support that candidate? How can you be saved and you're a part of that political party? Oh, as if their political party is saved, as if their candidate is saved. Listen, let me tell you something. One way we can resist the devil is to, not, is to resist questioning other folks' salvation or even their sanity when they disagree with us. You know how we question other people's sanity. They dumb for embracing it. They dumb for believing. That's a dumb thing to say. Oh, they, that's because they stupid. That's why they, listen, how about we resist the urge to question other people's salvation and other people's sanity. Here's another way we can resist the devil. Here's another way. Uh, resist the urge to make yourself superior to others who are not like you or who disagree with your position on an issue. I think this, this air of superiority that has always been about us in this country, in the United States of America, is uh, just, just showing that it's alive and well that it's alive and well, that I'm reading and hearing of stories where people of color can go into predominantly white neighborhoods and then they're followed or, 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 or even uh, an attempt to uh, do a citizen's arrest like we saw with Ahmaud Arbery. You know, this, this air superior, superiority. What are you doing in, in our neighborhood? You know, this air superiority. And that is in the church. 
this air of superiority that is in the body of Christ. We can do the same thing when we question, what are you doing in our meeting? What are you doing at our church? Why do you want to sing in our choir? Why do you want to preach in our, in our church? We can have the same thing. How about we not? How about we resist the urge to make ourselves superior to others? How about we, we, how about we resist the urge to assume people who are different from you and differ with you is a threat? It's a threat. I just listened to a podcast a few minutes ago of this study that's been done uh, on, on, uh, on implicit bias. Implicit bias where when certain people are seen, people of color can be seen, that, that we as people of color can be immediately perceived as a threat. As a threat. How about, how about you resist the urge to assume people who are different from you or who differ with you is a threat? Here's another one, and we'll move on. Resist being ignorant of what other people who are different from you really, really need and how they really, really feel. I tell you, we could go a long way if we do a better job of resisting the devil by practicing empathy. Practicing empathy. And then I'm going to close and we'll move on with this. Resist the urge to hate your brothers and sisters in Christ. Resist the urge. So how, we res how do we resist the devil? Many times we got to resist some urges that we have and how they impact how we behave and treat other people. So James tells us surrender. He tells us submit to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. No one can submit you to God. You have to submit yourself. Sur submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It is the surrender of your will to the will of God. Give God your yes. And let your yes mean that you'll let God have his way in how you interact with other believers, especially believers who have different preferences than you, who look different, different backgrounds, other believers who are different from you. Because people who are, people who are getting closer to God also understand this. People who are getting closer to God are determined to not give the devil a foothold. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, we're told, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Great way to resist the devil. Control your temper. So look out for the devil. Look out for the devil. You and I, let's look out for the devil. Let's look out for the devil. Uh, we're, and we're told to do that in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8 and verse 9, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of COVID-19 suffering and, and, and hostility and tension that you are. Resist the devil. Then number two, number two, if I want to be closer to God, not only would I resist the devil, number two, I would remove the dirt. Remove the dirt. Remove the dirt. I'm in verse 8. Verse 8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. James is rough. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. People who are getting closer to God, remove their own dirt. There was a practice, especially in Old Testament times, where heathens as well as Jews were accustomed to washing their hands before they engaged in public worship. And so the, the, the idea here is the principle is that in order to obtain the favor of God, it was necessary to wash your hands as a symbol of purification and cleansing and washing sin away, washing transgression away, washing away any barrier between the worshiper and the object of their worship. 
And so the mere worship, the mere washing of the hands uh, in and of itself was believed to be uh, to be to better position that worshiper for the favor of God, for the favor of God. So then so so the implication then is that you, you ought not hope for God's favor if you don't abandon your transgressions to wash the hand says, I realize I got some stuff. I got some filth. I have some dirt that I need to get rid of before I come and worship a holy God. That's, that's the assumption of the worshiper. I got some stuff I need to get rid of if I'm going to worship a holy God. That's a fair assumption for you and for me to make today. I got some stuff I need to get rid of if I'm really going to draw closer to the object of my worship, to the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ himself in his spirit who abides on the inside of us. And then James says, purify, purify your hearts. Washing the outward Washing the external is one thing, but we also have to be cleansed internally. James says, listen, your hearts need, need a work. Your hearts need to be cleansed. Your heart, your heart needs to be purified. Purify your affections, your thoughts, your motives. Uh, let, the, let, the meditate, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Let what I say, what I do, what I think, my motivation, how I feel. God, work on it, sanctify it, purify it, is what James is encouraging us to do. Then he says, he refers to being double-minded, being double-minded. Uh, he, he refers to his audience as being double-minded, where they're trying to love God and the world at the same time. And James is like, you can't do both. You can't do both. You, got, you either love God or you love the world. You can't love God and love the world. John would even tell us, if you love the world, you can't love God. Let's not be double-minded. And we all have some dirt to remove. We all need to get our hands clean. We all need to get our hearts purified. We all need a work done on our minds. We need to remove filth such as ignorance, hypocrisy, arrogance, unforgiveness, divisiveness, our own biases. It's, it's crazy how Jesus can wash away all of our sin. We can be delivered from the power and the penalty of sin and still live with bias. Bias, where we want to treat certain people a certain way and other people another way. And we can all live with this bias. It's not just white folk treating black folk a certain way, you know, treating white folk another. It's black folk who can also treat black folk one way and everybody else another way. It's rich folk, affluent folk who can treat other affluent folk one way and people less fortunate another way. All of us have some dirt on our hands. All of us need our hearts purified. All of us need our minds worked on. And the greatest way to do it, and I believe this is why James, why James is encouraging his audience, y'all really need to work on the hostility in, within y'all fellowship because the most powerful way, the most powerful way to get your hands clean and your heart purified and your mind right is through relationships. You know, they tell us, the, 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 the scientists, they tell us that, that the hand sanitizer is good you know, if you want to put hand sanitizer on your hands, go ahead and use hand, sanitizer, hand sanitizer. That's good. But the best way to wash your hands, they say, is with soap and warm water for a good 20 seconds. And then you got different types of soaps. I know the surgeons and all of them, they got this super duper, you know, uh, hyper cleansing soap from outer space or whatever. But, but the soap, washing your hands with soap is to do a better job than sanitizing your hands with hand sanitizer. And I believe James would tell us, if you really want to get your hands clean as a worshiper, if you really want to remove transgression that comes between you and the object of your worship, the God of your salvation, the best cleansing agent is relationships. 
relationships. And it may not always be relationships with people with whom you get along. It may be relationships with people who are different from you, who see things differently from you, who may have bring, may bring some hostility to the table in your meetings, in your rehearsals, in your conversations, you know, in your social media. James will tell us that you need, you need people. The ones that you have a tendency to get hostile with, you need them. How can, how close can you get to God when you're distant from other believers? Right now, with our being sheltered in place and we're disconnected from other worshipers, we're, we're slowing down. It can slow us down in some respects into how close, how much closer we can get to God. It can slow us down. We, we need time in the word of God. We need time in prayer. We need time in meditation. But at the same time, we need time with the saints. We need time with other believers to include the ones who get on your everlasting nerve. You know, we, we need we need to be around the saints. People in your circle are critical to your own sanctification. You are more likely to develop through people with whom you disagree than those with whom you agree. It is people with whom we disagree who are more likely to help us see flaws in our own perspectives. Amen. Loving people empowers you, empowers you to leverage your disagreements with them and empower you to never stop growing. And we may need believers with whom we disagree more so than we typically agree with to help us get rid of our own filth. Clean your hands, purify your heart, get your mind right, get rid of the filth. Get rid of the filth. And many times it's people with whom we disagree who could help us get rid of the filth. Here's the third thing. Third thing. If we want to get closer to God, resist the devil. Remove the dirt. Thirdly, repent for detrimental perspectives. Repent for detrimental perspectives. I'm in verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. But we want to shout and run and dance. James said, wait, nope. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. But no, we want to talk about good form. Good form. I'm glad that they lost their job. I'm glad that their husband walked out on them. I'm glad that their wife left. That's, that God don't like ugly. No, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. James is really getting in the grill of his audience when he says, be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. He tells them, repent. Basically, he's telling, telling them, you ought to feel bad for how y'all treat each other. Y'all should feel awful. In fact, what he's really saying, y'all should feel miserable for how y'all treat each other. Y'all should, should feel grieved for how y'all treat each other. Repent. 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 This repentance may need to be more than a private, Father, forgive us of our sins for we, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. James would argue with us, it may, be need, it may need to be more than something that's private. It may need to be more than private. It may require some confession, some tough conversations, some apologies. It may be, what James is telling us, may be what we're seeing in more of our non-black brothers and sisters protesting with us and fighting with us and repenting for being silent in the past. This repentance is something that shows up in your behavior. It's something that's visible. You can see it. Excuse me. You can hear it. And what we see right now is a very visible, very loud, active change from non-black persons, especially white clergy and laity, who have always been involved in civil rights movements, always been involved. But there's an uptick, uh, and, and you hear people talking about it. Why are there so many more uh, people who are, are not people of color, are white brothers and sisters involved? Part of it has to do with 
a repentant spirit for being silent in the past. I believe that what we're seeing is repentance. So my encouragement to you is make yours visible. I also need to make mine visible. Make it visible. Every Christian judge who dispense harsher sentences for black, black citizens than white citizens ought repent. Every Christian DA, every Christian attorney general who prosecuted uh, citizens they knew was innocent ought repent. It ought to be visible. It ought to be visible in how you treated other people and how you're going to treat people in the future. Every Christian who is trafficking other humans and every, every Christian who's had sexual relations with trafficked human beings ought repent. Cut it out. Stop doing it. Make, it. make it visible. Make it loud. Make your change loud. Make your change. Make your change of direction visible. Make it obvious. Every drug dealer, every pimp ought to repent. Every, every abusive person ought repent. Let everything that hath breath repent. This goes for Karen and Kaniqua. Everybody needs to repent. If you and I repent and change our behavior, we can change the world. One more thing and I'm finished. Release the divine to elevate you. Release the divine to elevate you. If you and I want to draw closer to God, if this is the vaccine for the virus of hostility amongst the saints to submit ourselves to, to God and draw closer to him. We need to resist the devil, remove the dirt, repent for detrimental perspectives and release the divine to elevate you. I'm in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. James provides what appears to be the hostile, the, the antidote to hostility, humility. Humility. This humility releases the divine to elevate you. It releases the divine to elevate you. Humility basically is seeing yourself with a greater degree of accuracy. You're not thinking too highly of yourself. You're not thinking too lowly of yourself, right? You're not, you're not thinking, you're not thinking that you're so superior to other people. You're not thinking that you're beneath other people. You're not thinking that people are beneath you. You see yourself with accuracy. Accuracy. A picture of pride. A picture of pride. If I had to describe a picture of pride, I would describe it like this. Um, is, is when people live as if they don't need God and they don't need anybody else. That's a picture of pride. It's when they live like they don't need God and they would say, I don't need you either. That's pride. That's pride. Pride sounds like or looks like they, they don't value God's presence in their life and proud folk don't value others' presence in their lives either. God resists the proud. God says, all right, you want to act like you don't need me? All right, I'm going to resist you. I will set myself up in opposition against you. Humility, on the other hand, James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble folk, in contrast to proud folk, understand we need God and we need other people. We need other people who may look like us as well as other people who don't look like us. We need other people who may agree with us politically. We need other people who may disagree with us politically. We all need help. We need help from God. We need help from one another. We need to help one another. I need God. Humility says, I need God. And I need you if I'm going to become all God has ordained. We all need one another. Uh, the, the humble person asserts that I cannot claim I love God and control you or rob you of what God has ordained for you. Whatever I want for me and my family, says the humble person, I want for you and your family. 
Yeah. And God says, he will help the humble. He will. He will elevate the humble. Humble yourself and God will elevate you. Humble yourself and God will raise you up. Humble yourself and God will promote you. God will exalt you. God will increase honor in your life. Humble yourself. God will make things happen for you, through you, in you. Humble yourself. He doesn't say pray that God humbles you. He does not say pray that your pastor humbles you. He does not say pray that you will be humbled, but he says humble yourself. Humble yourself. Sometimes we can humble ourselves by looking at other people and realizing there's really not much, that, that we're more alike than we are different. And, may, and maybe I've robbed myself of being blessed by, by not listening to you as I ought. Maybe, may, maybe I've robbed myself of blessing and honor from God in how I have treated you. I, I apologize. I, I was wrong. Humility can admit when, when you're wrong. Humility isn't always pointing fingers at, uh, at other people and always looking for a scapegoat or someone else to blame. Humility, humility can say, I messed up. I was wrong. I've seen this, this thing differently. I have been on the wrong side of this argument. I have been on the wrong side of this issue. I need to shift my position and make some changes, make some changes and, and, and go in a different direction. That's Humility can admit when I've been, I've been wrong. Be careful with this. Be careful with this because arrogance and pride, dangerous weapons. We can talk about no weapon formed against me shall prosper, but listen, let me tell you something. There could be a weapon within you of pride, arrogance, hostility that can rob you of being blessed. If you think I'm lying, if you think I'm lying, ask King Saul what can happen. When you're, when you're arrogant and you think you can do things your way instead of God's way. When you can, when you can harass someone that God has chosen uh, to be elevated and blessed. Ask King Saul what can happen to you. Ask King David what can happen to you when pride gets the best of you. When you think you can just take anybody's wife, anybody's, anybody's loved, relationship, prized relationship. Just ask David what can happen to your family and your seed when you violate God's command and how you honor other people's marriages and their relationships. If you think, if you think arrogance and pride, no big deal. Ask Judas, who betrayed the Lord Jesus, what can happen when you get so filled with pride that you think you can, you can uh, uh, intersect God's agenda and God's program and set up somebody for harm to happen to them. I believe they would all tell you, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself so that God can bless you. Humble yourself so God can promote you. Humble yourself so that you can be blessed and be a greater blessing to others. Humble yourself in God. God will raise you up. So when I'm prideful, I handcuff God's hands. I, I, I handcuff God's hands. I, I, I keep doors from opening. I keep ways from being made. I prevent promotion. I can prevent uh, elevation. I can prevent uh, greater measures of honor coming into my life. I, I prevent getting things done that can advance the kingdom of God. But when I, when I humble myself and I admit I need some help and I can't be too picky, I can't be too picky in who helps me. I can't be too picky in who assists me. I can't, I can't be too picky. I can't be, I must, I must receive whoever God has brought into my life to help me advance his kingdom. And I release God's hands. 
I release God's hands to bless me, to elevate me, to honor me, and then in, re in, in, in return to honor him, to bless his name, to give him glory. The more God elevates you, the more and the more God elevates you, the more imperative it is for you to resist the devil, remove the dirt, repent for detrimental perspectives, because elevation oftentimes brings on increased influence on other believers. So elevation, elevation, elevation does that to you. It, it makes you, it, it has to make you even more sensitive to how the enemy can disrupt and destroy what God is trying to develop and build in your life. Get closer to God. I want to get closer to God. I want you to get closer to God. Let's get closer to God. Now's the time. Now's the time to get closer to God. Don't drift away from him. Get closer to him and totally, uh, totally depend on him. The last thing we need in the body of Christ is a prevalent, unchecked hostility. Hostility amongst the people of God makes us resemble the world. This reduces our potency as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. During these very trying times in which we find ourselves, I'm closing with this. Let's watch how we think of others, what we say about others with whom we disagree. Let's, let's watch how we stereotype others. Let's be on the lookout for how we provide a foothold for the enemy. Let's get closer to God. Get closer to God. Resist the devil. Remove the dirt. Repent for detrimental perspectives and release God to elevate. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.